Hey guys, what's up? It is week 237, and to start this off, I have maybe not necessarily some corrections, but just a little bit more input on a subject. I always re-listen to back to my old episodes I'm editing, and like sometimes I'll say stuff and I'm like, I don't like how that landed, or maybe I'm a little bit more inaccurate than I'd like, so this isn't a correction. But it's close. But so uh, basically I was talking about three kind of really unique zombie movies that are independent. Uh, The first was Dead Next Door and then I covered Shattered Dead. That was another one. And the third one I said Last Rites of the Dead. But I want to give its AK name which is it's more known under Zombies Anonymous. Which is the cut version but Wellgo USA put it out. is more widely available. Then they went down they went ahead and released a a more uncut version uh, called Last Rites of the Dead on DVD as well. Not Wellgo but a different company. But uh, still the full director's cut's never been put out there on disc. Um, well, not director's cut, but extended cut. I think that the last rights of the dead adds in a lot of the stuff that was cut out that I think works. So I think that's the cut to go with. So uh, yeah, check that one out. A really fun, interesting movie. Um, so also, I was talking about how I never try to point out an indie actor's performance, and I, I try not to. But I will say I have done it before, and I, it's something that I do, I did do that. I'm just like I shouldn't have done that. I always feel kind of tasteless about it. I will say if the acting it had some lousier performances in the film uh, but I try not to pick out a certain actor actress or anything like that and I know that I was kind of guilty of it when uh, on, more so on 22 shots when we kind of get the back and forth it's just like uh, on that show uh, people have described me uh, as more unhinged than I am on here which is 100% accurate just going back and forth with you know JP Moods and Jeremy sometimes you just you know you, you forget that you should be a little bit more professional when you slip and just say something that's a little tasteless but hey it is what it is you guys guys uh, hopefully will understand that uh yeah so i guess we're gonna go right into the contest that's right i have a contest for you don't worry all the patrons uh on my patreon are already added in automatically but uh for all the other people that want to enter they have to send an email to screaming toilet contest at gmail.com you will probably get some ads from mbd and whatnot they're actually providing the contest but you're getting some good stuff and it's two four k's uh Two of that these these do have punches in the UPCs on the back, so I will warn you they're not I guess you know brand new. Well, they are, but you understand what I mean. They have their promotional copies, so they have the the UPCs punched. But they are uh, 4K editions of Maniac Cop two and three. So these are both really entertaining movies. Uh, one directed by Alan Smithy uh, right here, just kind of a joke there, and the other directed by William Lustig. These are really fun movies. And they look great in 4K. I covered them a couple weeks back, maybe a month ago. So if you're interested, all you have to do is send an email to screaming toilet contest at gmail.com and uh yeah and just maybe leave a comment or a thumbs up if you if you you're liking what you're seeing or not otherwise yeah that's all you have to do to enter the contest i'll probably draw within a few weeks or or whatnot something like that <laughs> so I don't have as many to review and I uh, as usual, so it probably won't be a two-hour video like you guys have grown accustomed to in the past few, few weeks. But uh, yeah, let's hop into the reviews. And the first one up is The Dogs of War, starring uh, Christopher Walken. It also has uh, Tom Berenger in it. Uh, this is directed by John Irving. And this is a kind of cool movie. This was made in, I, I double-checked the year, early 80s, 81. Um, and that is interesting, obviously, because, you know, uh, Christopher Walken did stuff like uh, The Deer Hunter which was before this, and uh, he's in Annie Hall. And Walken wasn't always that actor that we kind of like that kind of quirky kind of guy. He was always quirky, but he didn't really have that reputation of being 
the almost comedic actor he is now. I, I love Christopher Walken. I think he's an amazing actor. But in the 80s, he did some interesting movies as well. And this is kind of like a, a weird, I don't want to say follow-up to Deer Hunter, but it's definitely a war film. Uh, so, yeah, we have um, the main character here is Christopher Walken, and he is a, a vet, but he's a mercenary. He's kind of a loner, lives in a, I, I want to say he's in New York. It definitely feels very New York City or big city, maybe maybe Chicago, somewhere around those elements. And uh, he kind of is, uh, is approached by this kind of businessman, and he wants him to kind of go on this recon mission and just kind of look up this uh, this place that's in turmoil. Uh, this new, There was a takeover, and the guy running the place is this kind of really, uh, you you know, authoritarian, violent uh, kind of overlord in like an African country. One of these countries that, you know, most uh, westernized world doesn't even know the name of. And I can't even recall the name of it right now. <laughs> so it's one of those deals. Anyways, Walken goes over there and he starts to do some recon work and he meets kind of like a British filmmaker and they kind of have a, a shaky friendship. He's going there as kind of like a, a, a bird photographer or whatever for a magazine, but we all know that's a cover. Anyways, uh, he gets pretty roughed up in the process and when he comes back, he has to kind of heal and everything like that. And the same businessman approaches him and says, well, is there a possibility of a takeover? We'd like to hire you and a group of mercenaries to kind of go over there and, and take care of, you know, and kind of help with this, you know, coup. Uh, and at first he doesn't want to do it, but eventually, of course, he, he's gonna because there isn't a movie there. But while he's there, he understands how corrupt everything is. The people in charge are just awful. The people kind of in the United States pulling the strings are doing it for money, not the uh, the the reasons that you should do something like that, if you, even if you should. But all these kind of you know hypocrisy and and twisted stuff, and so he, he's really kind of disgusted with the whole process so he he gets his boys together one of which i believe is a british guy he uh what is his name freeman he's in a bunch of movies his last name's freeman actually an interview with him on here paul freeman you guys would know him uh as a very 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 prolific voice actor but he's in indiana jones uh yeah and he i, I don't remember which i want to say he's one of the nazis i want to say he's in uh, the last crusade if i'm remembering correctly and he's also ivan ooze from the power rangers movie so he's there tom Berenger's there and a frenchman who's very uh, uh, familiar as well character actor he looks very familiar and i couldn't really quite place him um also uh ed o'neill has a, a role in this movie which was great to see um but yeah you just see kind of uh walken's home life and everything like that and then the setup to this he goes over there it's kind of a weird um i guess i'll say structure because he goes on this mission initially and then comes back and then goes back again so it's just like almost seems like there's a, a couple more hills and there should be here but uh, the action is well done. Um, the ending is, is really well done as well. Um, yeah, there's lots of explosions, lots of crazy stuff going on. And it does have a message. And it has some has some decent moments and heartfelt stuff. It looks pretty good. Uh, sounds good. There's two cuts of the film on here. There's the uh, American theatrical. And then there's the extended international cut, which is longer and adds a lot more stuff into it. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, there's interviews with co-star Paul Freeman, Maggie Scott. Co and then there's a the co-writer, George Malco. First assistant director, Anthony Way production designer Peter Mullins and costume designer Emma Porteous and there's also some trailers so if you haven't seen this one I'd recommend checking it out uh, good action good performances just a solid kind of war film that has a little bit more to say than a lot of the other ones that and at first this one at face value you think oh is this kind of just an action kind of espionage deal but it's a little bit more than that dogs of war pretty good stuff okay this next one here is the young uh, cycle girls <laughs> yeah and this cover here is one that always caught my eye I remember seeing this cover uh, floating around this is from Dark Sky uh, Dark Dark Force film. Sorry about that. Don't want to mix up Dark Sky and Dark Force. But uh, the young cycle.
recycle girls. So this is an exploitation cheapie, if you've ever seen one. That would definitely be the, you know, you always see that kind of descriptive uh, thing in exploitation cheapie, and this is definitely that. So we have a group of young girls. There's three of them, uh, two sisters and another one that comes from a kind of like a, I want to say like a strict family, you know, and everything like that. And they have this brilliant idea during summer break, or is it spring break? One of those breaks you used to get in school. It's been so long since I've been in school. Uh, so anyways, they uh, decide to, they're going to drive from, what is it? It's one of these kind of small little cities. Uh, it's a conservative state. Um, is it Utah or somewhere around those ideas where they want to drive? Not Utah, geez. Anyways, it, it's kind of middle America, a few states over, and they want to drive all the way to California and see the ocean for the first time and everything like that. And that's kind of what their their deal is. And along the way, uh, they, they one of them kind of lies to their father. The other two kind of get a, a shaky yes. But on the way, of course, on their motorbikes, they encounter all sorts of weirdos. At first, they kind of uh, peeping Tom and then a couple of hippies that are no good drug abusing pieces of crap and that seems really bothersome like it's a very weird mixture like at times you'll hear like the three of them kind of like outrunning a perverted cop and it's kind of fun and 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 seemingly like lighthearted and then they'll go to a party and it's real goofy as well and then like there's this party scene where like if you've ever like heard them the term the stereotype that white people can't dance and if you ever try to argue that all they'd have to do is show the scene from this movie of the white people dancing and you're shut down because it is some of the worst dancing i've ever seen in my like comical dancing but there's like these moments where like it's a sex romp and a comedic light-hearted thing where like they're they're sleeping with these guys and then there's like a brutal rape and you're like oh this is such a weird tonal thing which is very prevalent in the 70s i mean and i always use these two as an example last house on the left and the town that dreaded sundown where they have these really dark elements and then like a comedic turn here or there or character or something like that but this one is even more kind of sloppily done and uh, there's a biker uh kind of a a silly one that i watched uh, a while ago i think that dark force put out that i not it's not ringing a bell that has a lot of dna with this one um so so all in all i found this movie kind of like it's not uh, a boring film at all like and and they'll have a lot of casual nudity where the girls will just like strip nude and change and stuff and you're like oh that's kind of like you know like i guess like at points you see them as very young so them stripping down a nude you're like oh that's uncomfortable but it is an exploitation movie you know they're of age so it is what it is but at points it's totally weird and kind of all over the place where you'll have these moments of like sweetness which is kind of a lot of exploitation movies in their self right and the ending of course is infamous the ending is brutal and just very depressing and i think that's probably what kept this movie in and some sort of you know uh you know remembrance is that that brutal downbeat ending and it's real stuff a real tragic stuff reminds me of uh the nick cave song and i never had seen the ocean before uh <laughs> oh, i i know what is that one how's that one go i know it's just unrelated but it just comes to my mind uh she had never seen the ocean before geez i can't think is it kindness of strangers or strangers strangers uh, with kindness one of those two songs those two always mix up but it definitely reminds me of that kind of deal Anyways, this is a it's a solid movie, I guess. If you're looking for an exploitation cheapie, it's not something that's going to carry that much weight, really, except the ending. And it's kind of what you expect. Um, there is, like I said, some real nastiness to the movie, and also some lighthearted comedy bits as well. But that is the young cycle girls. Uh, yeah, and every every person they encounter is pretty much trash in this movie for the most part, except them. But yeah. Uh, check it out. It has no special features if it sounds like it's up your alley. Okay, this next one here is, I don't really have that much to say about this movie. Um, it's from Film Detective. It's a Film Detective release. And this is Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958. But what I will give on uh, some major props on Frankenstein's Daughter's uh, Blu-ray release is Film Detective has been doing an excellent job on the remasters of The Giant from the Unknown. And uh, a couple of the other releases they put out, I was in, in, immensely impressed with their, their actual uh, prints 
they just look so good and frankenstein's daughter uh is, is no different. So this is a real cheapy movie from 58. Uh, very corny, uh, black and white. But it does have its charm. John Ashley is in here uh, from all the kind of Filipina, Philippines horror movies. And, you know, he's in a lot of bigger movies before that. Um, I guess this is one of the bigger movies, question mark. So uh, it's a modern telling of Frankenstein. We have Dr. Frankenstein trying to pick up girls. But then when they kind of reject him, they, he kind of like turns them into their experiments. And he's performing this weird experiment on this girl. Like the Frankenstein like thing turns her into a monster at night but then she's kind of doesn't remember and she's back to normal the makeup on her is, is absolutely hilarious there's this scene where the cops are chasing her and he's trying to hide the uh, whole deal and he's like pulling her away but she has like these big bulbous eyes and it just looks like a big paper mache mask and it, it's really kind of fun and charming in its own way uh but it, it's just a really corny cheesy movie that uh i don't have all that much to say it's kind of one of these ones that you'd put in a drive-thru and i feel kind of bad about it because like i said the print on it it's amazing and I, I know that people saw this when it came out or later when they're younger have an obviously an endearing quality about it um there's a lot of features on here as well which uh the two full commentary tracks author and historian tom weaver and filmmaker larry belmere richard e kuna filmmaker of the unknown a bollywood motion picture documentary featuring an archival interview with director richard e kuna who thanks who with thanks to tom weaver and tom weaver knows a lot about these movies he actually was all over the disc of um a giant from unknown and had i i don't know that Richard E. Kuna uh, interview was on there as well, but this guy's a very interesting guy. Um, he served in World War II and became a f low budget filmmaker, and, and they broke this all down in The Giant from the Unknown and in this special feature as well. And then this one was my favorite special feature on here is John Ashley, A Man from the Bees, a new career retrospector featuring film historian C. Courtney Joyner, goes over his career a little bit. And I've heard a lot about his career as well, John Ashley, because uh, he was in like those Filipino movies, so they always bring him up, like Beyond Atlantis. And I don't know, it's just something about him. He seems very fun, kind of very much a carryover from the 50s when he was in those 60s and 70s. 70s Filipino movies, but he has that all-American kind of charm to him, and I enjoy seeing him in this. Uh, he, he plays kind of like a boyfriend kind of character who doesn't really believe all the crazy stuff's happening. But uh, this one sounds like it's up your alley if you're in for like a cheapy, low-budget, kind of fun uh, horror movie with, you know, some of the acting is patchy in here, and it, it's more so just a product of its time with the dialogue and stuff, but I did kind of enjoy my time with it. Um, I, I really could never say anything too negative about it for what it is. It, it is exactly what you think you're getting, but that is Frankenstein's daughter. Uh, kind of fun, but uh, not necessarily great. Uh, the picture quality is great, though, so check it out. Okay, I don't even know really how to go about this one, but uh, this is Claudio Fragazzo, who are recovering for Italian Horror Month, and uh, this is the one I picked, because uh, we made a deal where we picked a, like, each got to pick a Claudio Fragazzo movie, and this is the only Fragazzo horror film direct that he directed that I had not seen, and this is Beyond Darkness. This is from Severn Films, uh, made in 1990, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah, this is like a smorgasbord ripoff of a bunch of kind of American uh, horror films. I know that uh, my friend Duncan McLeish uh, covered Covered this on podcast under the stairs and he he brought up a couple movies that i didn't even notice including hellraiser in there and amityville horror which i did kind of notice but i noticed poltergeist right away i was like this is just an exorcist exorcist and poltergeist kind of mixed together so okay what we have here is this uh i believe this priest and his family are gonna they inherited this house from another like kind of this higher up priest and everything nobody wanted to live here because something crazy and tragic happened so they kind of move into this place and right away strange uh things start Start to happen there's like a crack in a wall and obviously some weird spooky shits behind the wall I think definitely an Amityville kind of horror deal there and um so uh, there's also uh, this kind of 
Fallen from Grace Priest and David Brandon, who's in Stage Fright and a handful of other films. And he's kind of just wandering around drunk. And he has this horrible, uh, you know, past involving somebody to be put to death that he is being haunted by and all their victims and children that are children and everything like that. So uh, their, their paths are definitely going to cross and they kind of are related and everything like that. So it turns out that uh, in this house is the evil woman that was put to death um, and that he, uh, David Brandon kind of looked over and everything like that. And she's like trying to take the the other priest's children and everything so uh it just all out bonkers shit happens you know kids getting possessed um kind of over the top moments of this this crazy uh performance from this kind of demon woman and her army of like ghost children it's just a super weird movie lots of fog lots of atmosphere lots of over the top acting and stuff like that uh there's a nice special feature with david brandon where he says basically he wanted to kind of improv everything and he kind of just ran in the street um, where he was supposed to be this drunk guy, and they're supposed to be only they only had three extras, so he's just like running into like to random strangers and everything, and like one of them like actually pushes him away and stuff. So that was the the fun special feature. But you know what? This isn't a, a bad film. It's very entertaining. It has its it has its cool moments. It's a smorgasbord of all sorts of weird horror films and everything like that. Um, it has a fun kind of performance from the lead baddie in here. So I would give this one a pass. I would I would say check it out. It definitely is also one of the Casa movies. I don't know if it's La Casa Five. I think it is La Casa 5 out of that weird bastardized Italian horse series. So yeah, that is Beyond Darkness. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Okay, the next one here is another Claudio Fregazzo movie, and this is Monster Dog. Yeah, starring Alice Cooper. Yeah, this one I had seen. It had been years, but rewatching it, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm a big Alice Cooper fan. Now, like, you know, I don't, I'm not like the biggest expert where I can tell you all his albums and everything like that, but as a kid, I used to listen to like, you know, all Alice Cooper's greatest hits all the time and stuff like that. I was a weird kid, you know, he was before my time, but I, I listened to like, um, uh, Dead Babies and School's Out, No More Mr. Nice Guy, all that kind of stuff. Steven always dug, dug on some Alice Cooper, and I always loved his, uh, I Am the Future from from, uh, class of 1984 was one of my favorite songs so I, I I liked a lot of Alice Cooper stuff and I liked his performances in films popping up in Prince of Darkness and stuff like that he's in Freddy's Dead uh, as well but uh, yeah so Monster Dog he stars in this Italian film and the opening has a really fun music video that he's shooting I'm getting the clues it's just a nonsensical music video that will get stuck in your head it's very fun very tongue in cheek so uh, what we have here is uh, Alice Cooper wants to visit his old, old hometown he hasn't been there in 20 years and there's something tragic happened he ends up going back there and, and when he chooses the time to go back there's a bad time because there's been a pack of wild dogs that have been killing several people throughout the entire area and um, him and his band are going there to shoot a music video and everything like that. His girlfriend, some of the bandmates, all those people are going there to do it. Um, and basically, uh, it kind of reminds me of the horror movies like, uh, what was that one, Blood Tracks, where they have the, the Swedish rock band going to like the, the mountains to shoot a music video, and then they have to fight the hills, have eyes type creatures. Fun movie. So it's kind of that way too, or isn't Hard Rock Nightmare a similar premise where the band's going somewhere and they're attacked? Isn't that a werewolf? It's been a long time. I don't even, it's one of those ones that's very, very patchy for me. So anyways, Monster Dog, they end up going there, and uh, soon enough, actually, it does take a while for it to pick up, you know, but a lot of people are been being attacked by dogs or 
there's a crazy old man that's kind of like threatening them. There's a really over-the-top nightmare sequence, which is insane. But uh, it's just, it's really fun. It's got a lot of atmosphere, a lot of thick uh, fog floating around. Uh, but, and then of course there's a band of baddies and we realize that horrible thing that happened to Alice Cooper's family in the past. The monster dog himself looks fucking awesome. In the last 20 minutes we have some cool shootouts. We have uh, some monster attacks. It's just a really fun movie. And a couple of Alice Cooper songs too in here. Well, made for the movie probably, even if they are Alice Cooper. I don't fucking know. They're cheesy and they're fun. Uh, very enjoyable movie. I would, I would give this one a, a pass. I like it. Um, I just, It's just fun, like, you know, uh, entertaining stuff. And for Gazo movies, they're usually always fun and entertaining. And, you know, like, and everybody would be like, oh, they're so bad. And I don't think they're that bad. And uh, Compared to, like, other cheesy movies of, like, the 80s, American or not, they're, they're kind of similar. You know, they're kind of in the same vein as a lot of these ones. But Monster Dog is a blast. Check it out. The Scorpion Blu-ray looked really good. Didn't have any uh, subtitles, which is a bummer. But uh, we do have uh, Lord of the Dogs, a featurette with interviews from Claudio Fregazzo, Rosella Drudy, and Roberto Bessi, and more. But uh, Rose um, Claudio Fregazzo and Rosella Drudy, they're like uh, a partner, uh, partners, and she helped with the writing and stuff all the time. She's on all the special features with the Severed stuff, and she's a special feature on Beyond the Darkness as well. But yeah, Monster Dog, Alice Cooper for life. Okay, we have a, a couple 2021 movies to cover, and I'll, I'll probably be kind of brief with these ones. The first one is Caveat, and I watched this on Shudder, and uh, this I heard a lot of cool things. People were like, oh, the doll in that is super creepy and everything. So the setup of this movie... Um, after the setup of this movie annoyed me so much, I was like, I don't know if I can finish. I, I mean, I, I was just bothered throughout the entire thing after the setup. So... We have a guy suffering from amnesia. He doesn't remember. He was just in a hospital. A man approaches him and says, hey, I'm your friend. Um, I would like you to kind of watch after my niece. Uh, she really recently lost her father. Her mother disappeared eight months ago. She's also a schizophrenic, and uh, she just don't like her being alone and everything like that. I'd really pay you $200 a day to watch her. He's kind of... he. he agrees although he against his best you know best intuition he agrees um he ends up i know this is slight spoilers but this is in the first 15 minutes or so the guy ends up bringing him uh to this uh, this location with a boat and he says it's on an island the guy's like well you never said it was on an island so he starts arguing so he goes okay so that's two strikes of, of batshit craziness right there that he's going to go do this they get there and he tells him he has to wear a straight jacket the entire time that is chained to a floor and locked so he can't leave it and it's just the guy agrees and the movie's set into some sort of like ground reality so, and after that I was like this is just such a stupid premise halfway through the movie he's out of the straitjacket anyway so this movie's gonna this is gonna contain spoilers because I'm just kind of ranting about this one um, he's out of the straitjacket halfway through the movie so you're like what was the fucking point of the straitjacket even though it does play into the, like the backstory on things like that but Jeremy was watching this with me and he said you know what it's more interesting is the backstory the backstory should be the movie not this what I'm seeing right now so there's like a mystery element where the, we have this guy who doesn't have his memory and it seems kind of typical in that aspect this young girl who as suffering from some sort of mental illness and this also this very you know this guy who sent him there that's very suspect as well so we have these three people you don't know who to trust who's telling the truth what happened we have a, a past psychological like damaged family and murder stuff and everything like that and there's some genuinely creepy moments there's a body in this film of this this woman and she's like this and she looks exactly like the the face from black sabbath and that's scary as shit and, and that stuff all works really well like the creep factor is there um the cinematography's good the act solid um 
but the premise in itself it just has too many shaky points to get there and I don't understand really the point of everything and uh, there's some decent moments all in all but it's just and it's not a bad film I would I would say it's a good movie to check out it's just that the premise in itself annoyed me to no end and I was just like this is just I'm basing you're basing the whole thing on bullshit and I think there's a couple things that you could write or change that would make it a little bit more believable or something that you would swallow it a little bit easier but of course you know the character's going to have kind of a recall of his memory and everything like that and uh, some more things going to come to light and you're going to realize who's who and everything like that and that's I guess the fun in it but it just didn't do much for me I don't think it's a horrible movie or anything like that it's just not something I can wholeheartedly recommend um, the doll thing is very creepy um, eh, but it's it's just okay and it does feel like it's just kind of going on for too long for what it is so that's caveat Okay, the next one is another one I watched on Shudder, and this one is called Vicious Fun. And that's exactly what this movie is. This movie is very fun, very enjoyable. So we have this kind of a uh, guy who has uh, in love with his roommate, and he just doesn't, you know, he's not, he's, he's obviously lonely. It's an 80s uh, period piece, so he uh, is uh, kind of focusing on his roommate extra creepy. He sees uh, her boyfriend leave. She, he decides to follow the guy to figure out what he's all about. He meets him in this strange bar, and he kind of adopts a fake name, and they start talking, and the guy's a complete douchebag, right? He's douchey and weird and just, you know, unlikable. So he ends up getting really drunk while he's there, and he passes out. When he wakes up, he kind of notices that there's this kind of a, this board, like this meeting going on among people, um, being led by David Koechner, great comedian, very funny, very entertaining, never disappoints from Krampus and Dirty Work and one of the Final Destination films and a slew of other movies. You guys know exactly who he is. He's Chant from Anchorman. So it's being led by him. Also in the audience is the Kurgan, the uh, WWF wrestler, uh, who also pops up in, I want to say he was in, what was the one with Kevin? Um, oh, geez, what is the Nazi one? Uh, just a single title name. Betsy, Becky, Becky, Becky. He was in that one as well. Uh, and he plays this kind of big, like, ogreish guy in this as well. So what it appears is he, he's brought in, they mistake, mistaken identity here. He ends up getting put in the seat um, and there's like five people and they all start talking and he realizes that he's in this weird kind of serial killer support group and he's very confused and he has to kind of put his best poker face on. Uh, soon enough, it's, it's, it's him and somebody else starts to help him out to survive against these serial killers and it's just a fun romp of gore and violence and all these over-the-top character types and these serial killers. They all have their kind of M.O.s like a big, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees type, and then like the government killer, and all these different kind of things. Uh, the crazy Asian cannibal. Uh, so you get all these kind of different killer types. I had a lot of fun with this one. Very entertaining stuff. Uh, it's a pretty good period piece too, with the '80s. Um, the score is good. There's these couple of goofy cops in here, and one has this freak out. He's like, "You don't make fun of a man's mustache. You don't make fun of a man's mustache." Where I was like, "Oh, that reminds me of my old friend Jimmy Cribs," which, uh, yeah, it's just a joke that I think he would eat up. Um, um, but anyways, this is a really fun movie. I'd really check it out. Really, really recommend it. Check it out on Shutter. I had a good time with it. Um, and I'm not opposed to having this in my top 10 at the end of the year either. So that's vicious fun. Good stuff. Okay, so we have a Patreon pick here. And this is Chris Rivers. He said, pick any Vinegar Syndrome movie or release you haven't seen yet. So I decided to pick Night Owl from 1993. Uh, starring John Leguizamo is the big star in here. Although he's not the main star. Um, although he's probably first bill <laughs> before this movie was ever released. 
So I was listening to Pure Cinema Podcast, and uh, they had a guest on there from Fun City, and uh, he was talking, I think he wrote this New York book, movies book, and his first answer to it was a, a four-way tie cheat, and he was bringing up all these kind of New York City vampire movies from the 90s that are all independent, uh, first of which is The Addiction, which I had heard about, of course, by Bell Ferreira. He also mentioned Habit by Larry Fessendent, which I need to watch, Nausea, which is one I'm going to watch for 1994, and Night Owl was the fourth, and I had that on Vinegar Syndrome shelf. So I was like, okay, those are four kind of interesting uh, picks, and I, I won't definitely watch all four of them. I already had seen one. I'm going to watch one, so I was like, I'll, I'll knock off a third one here. And I've always been interested in Habit. I've seen a handful of Larry Fessendent movies. They're very hot and cold for me. Mostly cold, to be honest. I, I love him as an actor. As, as a director, he hasn't really connected with me very much, unfortunately. But uh, Night Owl. So, oh yeah, this is a black and white movie, uh, and it's like I said, it is definitely those New York kind of weird vampire movies, if that makes any sense, those indie deals. So, uh, what we have here is this kind of this, this miserable character uh, who's suffering from what he thinks is vampirism. It, it, it's it, it's never really explained exactly uh, what's going on. It could be like an allegory for drug abuse or HIV or something like that. And it definitely feels like that. Um, but he obviously is suffering from some sort of sickness. Um, he's just really unhealthy and unhappy and, uh, he just must feed on blood. So he goes out and he picks up these women and while he's having sex with them, he, he kind of slashes their throat and, and, and goes at it and, uh, drinks their blood. Um, it's really kind of the, the, the one thing this movie does really well is besides the look, I think the aesthetic is fantastic is the kills. Like they're just really unpleasant, you know, that stark black and white and then the dark blood coming on, on falling down on people, especially when they're having like sex. And just like, there's one point where he lifts up from somebody and like the blood drips from his mouth and like covers her breast. And it's just really kind of stark. Like you're like, Oh wow. Like it just catches your attention. It's, it's almost like a, a painting in a, in a horrific kind of beautiful way or whatever like that. I said, just a different, the contrast on the colors and stuff of the darkness, not colors, but the darkness and everything. So I, I like thought that was very impressive. John Leguizamo in this movie kind of plays like a street smart kind of guy that's looking for a sister who's one of his victims. And uh, he, he seems to have some kind of like dark kind of like things in him as well. And uh, he, when he, um, I would assume that he is possibly a homosexual character um, or, or at least somewhat unhappy with his sexuality, just some of the interactions he has with people in the film. But uh, there, there's some weird stuff going on with him in the film like some mental stuff with, with him but uh and, and his encounter with the vampire and everything like that but uh it does kind of start to spread and like i said there's like a, a heavy like punk rock aesthetic to it to me i don't understand how to say this like immediately when the first thing that comes to mind is the uh what is it richard kern you killed me first just that kind of look about it um that kind of punk rock energy to it the the loud kind of music the um the nihilistic kind of like doubt of life you know not giving a shit if you live or die or just being completely miserable but there's some like uh dark stuff with the main character too that like i just can't stand him he's just such he comes across as just this person who doesn't want to live i'm being a vampire or thinking you're a vampire at the very least it will probably do that to you but uh like i said it's just um it just it, it definitely could be an allegory for drug abuse or hiv or something just the idea that uh you're just kind of a shell of who you once were and you just feel kind of ashamed of having the, these problems and things like that not wanting the help when people are offering it or not knowing how to you know accept help or even take or even help yourself but uh yeah it's just a very nihilistic movie too on top of that 
Um, but I do think it's worth watching. It's not so uh, it's not an absolute perfect movie, but there is some striking imagery in it too, and I found it pretty interesting. The director would go on to do like some other skin. They seem like Skinflix vampire films. I can't one hundred percent kind of know what those are because I have not seen them. But we have an audio commentary with the director Aaron Nolt, Nightlife, an interview with director Aaron Nolt, Living for the Night, interview with actor James Rafferty, a chance to die, interview with actress Karen Wexler, archival interview with Jeffrey Anderson, and original cast auditions, raw interview footage with Carolyn Monroe. Row, specifically shot in 91 for use in Night Owl. And that stuff's really interesting because she's kind of being interviewed on a news station is kind of her role in this movie, I should mention. And she's kind of bringing up the vampire like tropes and things like that. And then it, it kind of reminds me of the stuff like in The Transfiguration or Martin where they would kind of have like the real life vampire, the people I think they are kind of opposed to like the fictionalized vampire that we see in television and everything like that. So Night Owl, it, it's worth checking out. Uh, yeah, um, it, it looks really good too like if that if that's one reason to check it out it's got that grimy film look from new york so that stuff's definitely a plus okay we're gonna get into those 1994 flicks prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall of last minute appeals failed to stop the execution of america's most notorious mass murderer john wayne gacy throughout chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference saying the proof the delusion of a disordered mind a phantom a spirit a ghost Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now! Fuck off! Alright, the first flick, I don't want to call it the pervert card. Uh, I know you guys are thinking, Dave, shouldn't you be reviewing Rape Man 5 right here because you said you would? And I know I said I did, I would, but when I went to watch Rape Man 5, I realized that there was no subtitles. And I thought that it went up to the fifth movie, but there is no subtitles made for Rape Man 5. So that's where our Rape Man journey has ended. I'm sorry. So um, I was trying to find something else to kind of fill the void from 1994 because there's just so many perverse movies from 1994, Asian films in general, really a lot of rape stuff going on and, and weird sexual fetish kind of horror exploitation movies. So I was like, I'll fill in that with that. So the one that I went with, and I hear a lot about this series and I've never watched any, although I do have this box set here um, of the first five, Angel Guts, but this is part six. And unfortunately, 
Part six is not in the box set because it's owned by a different company. Um, and I want to say the director, I'll mispronounce his name so I won't bother, but I'm almost 100% positive it's the director of Freeze Me, um, which is a great rape revenge film if you haven't seen it. But the movie is Angel Gut Six, Red Flash. So uh, yeah, I've talked, this is like the longest introduction for a movie ever. But uh, yeah, Angel Gut Six, Red Flash. Um, and I want to say it's the director of Freeze Me, which I loved. So I'll, I'll definitely put it up here if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, this director has kind of a, 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 a long list of films. Films, uh, that interest me and there's am I 100% I'm mixing up maybe but I just want to be I think he did do freeze me because it sh- shares so many so many similarities to freeze me um, so what we have here is this uh, this young woman she works in kind of like a, a photography like film place but she works mostly in the office from my understanding and uh, they come to her they say well we're short a cameraman today you're going to have to help with this scene she says I'm not going to do any of the S&M stuff I'm not going to photogra- uh, photograph that stuff I say it's not it's just an adult movie she says whatever so she starts to like take pictures of everything and it turns out that it's a rape scene and uh, she she starts to have some really bad moments in in this in the uh, ha- doing it and flashbacks to when she had a sexual assault of her own. So she has this horrible thing, this trauma within her, and uh, uh, she she it's some, it kind of like triggers something in her these memories and everything like that. That night she kind of uh, goes to this her bar that she always goes to, and she has this uh, relationship with this woman, the woman who runs the bar. They kind of have this sexual uh, endeavor and everything like that when she's very drunk. Um, this lesbian encounter. Um, after that, uh, she's kind of rejected from this uh, this person, and she goes back to the bar. She's very upset about it, and um, she kind of like runs into the director or the writer of that uh, adult film, and they start to talk. And she ends up being really drunk and taken home by somebody that she doesn't know. Um, when she comes to in the morning, it appears that a murder has been committed and she finds a tape and it looks like there was some sort of porno film being made with her in it. Um, and it, she starts to think or believe that she committed this murder and, and everything. She's having these flashes that are mixing with her and everything like that. And she can never really kind of guess exactly what reality and fantasy and where the trauma ends and where the new trauma begins and stuff like that. So she starts to try to do a detective case on her own to find out how this murder was committed somebody's blackmailing her and it gets kind of really confusing and it kind of could be a handful of people in her life so uh like i said this doesn't really fit the pervert card but there is it it does involve a lot of pornographic films being made and and uh, a lot of a sexual assault and stuff like that and and uh it does seem a little fetish fetish ish at times but i wouldn't call it that and uh there's a weird like like kind of relationship between the two the the lesbian characters in here where one of one of them uh it has this like story where they tell you know i was raped by my stepfather and after that i was never the same and like she still she's like it was really sad at one point when he was trying to like lie to my mother and he put his underwear on backwards she's like starts to kind of like laugh about the situation but then like it, sl- it quickly turns into tears and the other one's just laying there listening and completely traumatized by the whole fucking thing so there's a lot of dark stuff and interesting stuff in here the way that this director handles this like on paper or on first glance you're like oh it's just a smutty you know thing but then when you get deep down into these movies you're like oh this is saying a lot of things or bring up a lot of stuff that uh, it's just like you don't really blame some of the characters for being the way they are um, and, and it's just uh, I, I thought this is really good a really good mystery although short and and to the point and um you know i don't even say to the point because there's little turns and twists and stuff but it's not it's not too hard to follow and it's just kind of short and everything's there and it just um 
it's just not um just like watching trying to watch a lot of 2021 movies i'm noticing these pattern of these movies that just like take 45 minutes for anything to happen and this one is not one of those it catches your attention right away and i like that i like to be i like to have my attention caught right away you could slow down for an hour after that but you got to give me something something somewhere within the first 45 minutes of the movie you got to catch their attention but uh yeah i thought this is a really great movie a really good one from 1994 and i definitely check out the other angel gut movies um there i have them here and uh i've always heard uh actually i haven't heard as much as i would like to i know people just said they're kind of perverse and crazy but if this is like as perverse as they get you know they're not as 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 extreme or as fetish like as a lot of the you know nikatsu erotic films or anything like that or even you know some of the stuff like um uh, the Sato movies, which are just insane, but uh, it does kind of fit in line with one of those movies. I would put it in the same category as a Sato movie, but I enjoyed this. I thought it was very good. Uh, liked the lead performance. Thought she was great. Um, liked all the characters in the film, and the ending is a, is a mindfuck, to be honest. So that is um, Angel Got Six Red Flash. Check it out. Okay, this next one here is from 1994. Shouldn't need that much of an introduction, but this is Mosquito. That's right, Mosquito. And uh, right when I put this in, it had been a long time since I watched Mosquito. I had it on VHS. It was a v- one I rented from v- on VHS a couple times. I uh, even had the DVD, tracked on the DVD uh, when it was out of print and got it. But uh, Mosquito from 1994. This is from Synapse Films. Uh, I will say it looks pretty good. This is a low-budget film. Right when it started, I was like, man, this feels a lot like a Sam Raimi kind of movie. Not directed by Raimi, kind of like from his camp, though, like Val shall not kill except uh, that kind of deal, like where it comes from the Raimi boys, like Josh Becker or something like that. And then I was like, hey, Josh Becker's in this movie. And then like uh, I, I started seeing like the Detroit hats and shit like that. I was like, oh, this it's definitely got to be those guys. It just fits, feels too much like it. Um, the main star in here, of course, um, that most uh, genre fans will recognize is Gunnar Hansen, uh, Leatherface himself. There's a nice little funny shout out where he picks up a chainsaw. I haven't held one of these boys in 20 years. Feels good. I was just like, yeah, I know it's it's audience fan fan service there, but I dig it. Uh, a little bit of fan service goes a long way. Yeah, right. So I'm looking at you, Halloween Kills. Too much fan service. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> evil dice tonight. Um, anyways, uh, Mosquito. So this opened up and it had like the whole deal with the spaceship coming to Earth and, and, and crashing and everything or a satellite. And I was like, man, this is the funny thing. Every movie I, I rewatch that has a spat, starts in space. I'm like, I don't remember this starting in space. Every time I start like Critters, I'm like, I don't remember this starting in space. I do now because I took note of it. I don't remember this starting in space. But it happens in so many movies. It starts in space. I know they're aliens, but you see the spacecraft, all that kind of shit. Like, and uh, this is one of those two where the, the, uh, the meteor hits, it lands. And of course it lands in like the swampy area. And it's going to fucking make the mosquitoes large so what we have here is a couple attacks right off the bat some fishermen get killed in fun ways um some people get attacked by these giant mosquitoes it's practical they look awesome they're very fun they're very awesome and when they drain blood it's amazing we have eye popping gags um the one knock on this movie is the acting's not great and it's not i don't think anything that the actors are necessarily doing here i would legitimately say it seems like a lot of it is ADR. So, like, it doesn't seem like everything syncs up. I think it's kind of hurting the performances a tad. So I'll say that. But some of them come off fine. Like, Gunnar Hansen comes across fine. A couple of the other performances come across fine. Um, this movie does feel, like I said, like a Thou Shall Not Kill Except or even a Dead Next Door, which Raimi had kind of, like, some some involvement with behind-the-scenes productions. It has that kind of independent American spirit that, although not everything is perfect, it is very uh, ambitious, and it looks like there's so much hard work involved. So, like, 
I really enjoy Mosquito just on that aspect alone and the special effects and the premise of being like a throwback to 50s bug movies. I'm in. I, I enjoy that kind of shit. I eat it up. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. It becomes a siege movie at the end. Uh, there's some conveniences in here, but that stuff never bothers me. Uh, the lead guy, the lead kind of heroic type, like nothing personal or anything about his performance. It's just like while I'm watching it, I'm like, man, that's such a better Bruce Campbell. If Bruce Campbell was in that role right there, this is a much better movie because he has like the kind of tough guy, but also it's kind of a silly movie. And when I think tough guy in a silly movie, somehow making it work, there's only one guy that comes to mind and that's Bruce Campbell. He's the best at that. I think that he's the only actor I can really think of that is perfect for it, except maybe the lead in Brain Dead or Dead Alive does really good too. I think he's really good at that kind of movie um, where it's kind of a silly movie, but he's a lead and he comes across funny and heroic. I think that, Bruce Campbell's made for that kind of role. So I feel like uh, I just kept thinking, I wish that was Bruce Campbell. That really should be Bruce Campbell. Kind of like when you watch Crime Wave and you want him to be all the, the roles in the movie. <laughs> You're like, I wish that was Bruce Campbell. But uh, yeah, so that's, so that's still a big hang-up on Mosquito for me. And it has that Michigan flavor, too. So you immediately think, Raimi, Campbell, you want that. Um, but it's a fun movie. Like I said, they do some ambitious stuff, like the van crashes. And I'm like, that's a lot of hard work with that van on the side. And you could tell on an independent production. It just works. Like the, the Mosquitoes chasing the van reminds me of like uh, Race with the Devil when the, the cult are chasing after the van and you got a war nose shooting them off and shit that reminds me of that with the mosquitoes attacking the van um so like some of the characters are so ridiculously over the top and silly but they bite it they die fairly quick and we're left with like a handful of people it's just a fun little cool movie this this also has a bunch of special features on here there's an audio commentary with co-director writer director and co-writer gary jones director of photography and co-writer tom clancy or tom cheney sorry uh, Tom Clancy's a different guy. Uh, producer David Thurry. Bugging Out, The Making of Mosquito. I watched this thing and I loved watching this special feature here. An all-new documentary featuring interviews with director, co-writer Gary Jones, stars Gunnar Hansen, Tim Lovelace, Rochelle Losell, Mike Hart, and Josh Becker. That was great stuff. And then there's also director of photography, co-writer Tom Chaney, producer David Thurry, and more. And we also uh, deleted and extended scenes, which is cool, behind-the-scenes footage featuring optional, uh, optional audio commentary with Gary Jones. So it's got a lot of stuff. The Making of helps you like it a little bit more because you see who these guys are and where they come from and all the hard work that went forth but uh yeah anyways i love mosquito it's just a fun movie and i when i put it in, i was like i don't remember this being as corny and then like 20 minutes i was like i'm in give me all the mosquito i love the mosquito i need the mosquito but also <laughs> i just like and the movie skeeter also came out around this time too which i never actually did get to see skeeter so i'll have to watch that and compare it um yeah but i, I do like the 50s kind of throwbacks with the giant bugs and shit uh, most of those came out in the 80s but there's still some stragglers coming out and there was a couple in the 90s apparently too but mosquito fun stuff good 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 movie check it out Okay, this next one, I'll be kind of brief with it. It is Bloody Beast from 1994. And this probably should have got the pervert card is what I'm thinking over uh, Angel Guts Red Flash. Uh, yeah, so this is a Hong Kong flick. <laughs> And it stars the the guy from uh, the Underground Banker, uh, the serial killer in that film, who everybody thinks is gonna like go nuts and kill everybody. He stars in this, as you guessed, it, a serial rapist and killer in the Bloody Beast. So we have this guy from a small kind of village, and it's kind of a um, story. Every movie that came out after that involves a killer in Hong Kong is trying to recreate the untold story. Like I said, I went over this before. Same kind of plot here. We have this small Hong Kong village, and the structural story uh, where there's a killer going around, rapist killer. Uh, the structure story is where he 
he's already caught and he's like the cops are trying to get him to you know to admit to the crimes so he's getting the shit kicked out of him and eventually he comes forth and says i'll tell it as long as these conditions are met um and we kind of flash back in his life. He lives with his sister and his father. His father is very abusive. And I believe his father is actually the guy from the Untold story who loses to Anthony Wong's character in a gambling debt and whatnot. So I believe he's the same actor. Looks very similar. Uh, looks like Cotton Hill to me. <laughs> so anyways, the father's really abusive, really awful. Um, this guy doesn't want to get a job. He wants to stay home and take care of the house. His sister treats him poorly as well. And he's obviously sexually kind of frustrated. One day he witnesses this pregnant woman breastfeeding feeding her child some milk shoots out and everything like that in a really kind of weird scene and uh, he has a flash to when he's a young child where this woman breastfeeding in an alleyway kind of you know belittles him and, and calls him a pervert and everything like that this kind of i guess strikes a nerve in him where he now all of a sudden has to carry out his sexual fantasies and exploits through raping these pregnant women and killing them doesn't get much more tasteless than that right folks killing pregnant women to rape them and, and attack their breath whatever man it's fucking nasty it's tasteless right hey it is what it is it's a hong kong movie from 1994 exploitation right so there's these rape scenes here um and he kills young children usually they have babies with them it's just it's fucked up right um so there's a couple of those scenes that are carried out and every once in a while we'll cut back to like the police and everything and there's some weird sexual stuff with his sister it's just a, a kind of a perverse crazy movie the lead guy does a good job because he i mean he probably has played a weirdo in a lot of these films does a solid job but there's a really great moment in the movie that kind of took me for a surprise where the entire film his father has treated him terribly and and been horribly but when he registers what's actually going on there's this heartfelt moment between father and son and i was like that is so you know, a little bit deeper than this movie I, I really thought was going to go, you know, and it actually, although he's a horrible person, you have this heart to heart with the father and I'm like, oh shit, that's actually a well done scene. And all these have tend to have that moment. A lot of these Hong Kong movies will just be really like sleazy and exploitative and then they'll have that moment on the left field where you're like, oh shit, you know what? It's just turned to a genuine like great film for a second. And, and I don't dislike this. Like it's not something I dislike and I'm mad at it for being tasteless. I like tasteless. I'm just letting everybody know how tasteless it is and you'll probably hate it, but I enjoy this tastelessness and this craziness and I don't believe this is based on a true story or anything like that, but it just seems like they're like just saying back like all these people making these like serial killer rapists movies and they're like what are they going to be the rapist and kill his motivations this time you're like you know what let's sneak in the, the the breast fetish you know the breastfeeding fetish and it's just like okay we're gonna have a serial killer with a breast breastfeeding fetish it's like what the fuck but i guess i guess everything that's ever been a thing is a fetish now too so uh yeah uh anyways uh it's not a horrible movie but uh it is dark and sleazy and it's exactly kind of what you expect from the hong kong movies in 1994 that's bloody beast okay uh if you didn't think you could get any more tasteless than the bloody beast um Strap yourselves in, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's about to get real sleazy and tasteless. This is L.A. AIDS Jabber from 1994. An SOV movie. If any movie should have been on SOV, it is L.A. AIDS Jabber. So it's directed by uh, an actor, actually, who popped up in smaller roles, I think, in like, stuff like Blood Diner. He had a handful of roles. Um, that's the only thing I noticed, and he didn't direct anything else. So, um, you know, 1994, this is the second movie, or I think, off the top of my head, that brings up AIDS. Um, also, I know Love Minus Zero Equal Infinity had an AIDS kind of thing in it as well. Um, AIDS, when I was a kid growing up, very young, AIDS was like the scariest thing ever, okay? When I was, you know, uh, 10, like 12, 15, 16, AIDS was just very scary in the 90s. I mean, it's still kind of scary now. In the 80s, of course, I imagine it was even scarier, but in the 90s, you know, I was a young kid. In 94, I was 8. 
So like AIDS was the thing. You're like, oh, I don't want to touch that. It has AIDS on it. Or I'm not wearing that without socks. As I remember being terrified to put on bowling shoes because I forgot socks with my slip outs as a kid. And I didn't want to put on the bowling shoes that they had for me without socks because I thought I was going to get AIDS from it. This is the kind of stupid shit that like you would think of before. No, so like the obviously to like kind of exploit the AIDS you know epidemic with a movie makes perfect sense in the '90s for like an exploitation filmmaker or something like that. So what we have here is this kind of spoiled rich kid who frequents prostitutes at age 19 and somehow has his own apartment in L.A. I don't know what the fuck. It doesn't make any sense. And it seems that his father would possibly be rich because when he gets his results, it's from a doctor who's a friend of his father. So anyways, what happens is he uh, ends up getting sick one day, so he goes to the doctor and the doctor tests him for age just for the hell of it and it comes back positive um he immediately has a breakdown he's not a good guy he's just a very upsetting uh, upset person so uh when he realizes he has aids he just kind of like gets very upset at the situation and there's kind of a, a, a crazy freak out situation here where he goes after a social worker which he's like i got aids and like as sick as it is to laugh at it it's just so over the top and ridiculous I, I just immediately thought of South Park when or, or, or Team America when like AIDS 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 everybody has AIDS when he just freaks out and says like, I have AIDS ah, and he like screams I'm just like because the performance is like similar to that of the Paperboy from 94 but just even more over the top and not as well acted so you're just like okay what the fuck ever so uh, he gets this brilliant idea of course to take his blood out and run around the streets and inject people with AIDS so he starts doing this everywhere and of course, uh, people are getting infected with HIV, and uh, there's a couple cops on the case. Um, there's this really ridiculous scene. Uh, so pretty much right in the beginning of the movie, we follow these two cops trying to figure it out, uh, a, a, a pair of partners, a female and a male. And they're like, we're on the case. And then we have this big scene where all, sit, all the cops are sitting there and getting results of everything, and they're like, okay, okay. And then like it all of a sudden just cuts to like all these other detectives visiting the female partner's house, and they're like, Okay, this is a spoiler if you wanted to watch L.A. H-Jabber. And they're like, all right, your partner was in an accident. He's dead. And I'm like, halfway through the movie, we have this. And then all of a sudden, we cut to her with a new partner. And I'm just like watching this. I'm like, that guy quit. That guy walked off the set of L.A. H-Jabber. And they're like, we can't let this movie stay on the shelf. It's got to get finished. And they clearly just like, this guy was like, I'm not fucking being an L.A. H-Jabber anymore. Maybe he heard the title and he quit. Uh, I'm just assuming a lot of stuff about L.A.'s Jabber, pardon me. And uh, they hired a new actor, so like halfway through the movie, we have the, the female partner paired up with another guy, and I'm just... <laughs> the fuck is this why, why even like if my lead actor quits and i have half of la age jabber film i'm just like we're done i'm not doing this it's an omen from god our message from god la age jabber does not need to be in this world but i i i gotta give them props for finishing the movie so like at points they're like well it seems that we got some results back from a couple of people we jabbed it's positive it's positive it's positive and the very end of the movie they do this twist which you kind of expected before they said everybody who got jabbed was positive um and i just was like it doesn't make any sense you're spoiler they comes back after he's killed they're like he actually didn't have aids which is the most obvious thing to do in the world but they literally were saying the lab made a mistake and that but they were telling us that all those other people got aids like after he jabbed them they had positive tests so she's like not only did his test have a false nay a positive his second test had a false positive they gave him and then all the other tests that you gave the other people that he jabbed had false positives. So you're telling me they all went to the same hospital. They all made the same mistake. Fuck off with that. It's I don't know what is going on with the writing of L.A. H. Jabber. I expected more out of L.A. H. Jabber. 
Um, anyways, I am kind of happy that the movie exists, um, just to be that ridiculous and that insane and that weird and SOV and just like that exploitative. Like, but the idea is absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine someone going around like just jabbing someone with vial, like uh, syringes filled with uh, um, AIDS or it's not AIDS, HIV or whatever? But it's just kind of completely insane and completely exploitative, and I just can't believe it exists. And it's definitely worth watching just to put on. And this is one of those things where you imagine like there's clips of it and everything is terrible, or like it would be re-released on a on a DVD and a, or screen somewhere, and everybody be like laughing hysterically, or you know, it's just one of those kind of movies, right? Um, but uh, L.A. Age Jabber from 1994. I'm glad I watched it. And it's just fucking a weird oddity that it even exists, that it even is a movie. To be honest, um, and, and the title alone is just like what the fuck. Uh, so, so anyways, like I'm saying, um, uh, it's not very well acted. The the lead performer is probably the best, just because he hits this point of over the topness. But like when he actually jabs certain people, it, it's pretty brutal. I mean, like when well, the poor girl gets jabbed and the old lady just jabs lots of different people. But uh, some of the jabbings are off screen. But anyways, if, if LAH jabber sounds like it's up your alley, then I guess check it out. It's SOV. It's dirt cheap. Acting's not great. The script is uh, contradicts itself uh, all the time. Anyway, not all the time. Those two big moments there, I think it does. But anyways, that's LAH jabber. It is what it is. You know, I mean, it's one of those ones where if you just hear the title, you're just going to have to watch it for yourself. I mean, unless you, it, there's two types of people in this world. One of which who have to see LAH Jabber and one of which who don't even want to know it exists. Which which kind of person are you? He told me that you were despondent. He was worried. He thought maybe I could help. <sighs> no one's going to help me with my problem, lady, okay? I got AIDS. Hey, guys. We're here for You Ain't Seen. I'm looking real scrubby because i got to do this at crazy time because this guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for bed. All right. So, um... <laughs> I picked uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994. I was two birds, one stone. I figured it's one of the bigger movies from 94. And since we covered a lot of the Hammer stuff, we're going to cover the Universal stuff, which I have seen a lot of the Universal stuff. And I've seen about a thousand renditions of Frankenstein. I'm sure you have as well. You like the original novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we, I figured that I'd like to hear Jeremy's take on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's kind of an epic movie. It was made you know, uh, by the same production company, I believe, or the kind of producer, Francis Ford Coppola, behind it after they did Bram Stoker. Francis Ford Coppola presents Bram Stoker's Dracula from 92, which is not... <laughs> The only, my only problem with that movie is it's not Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. <laughs> right? The first five minutes of the movie makes him a fucking liar. <laughs> like, it makes him a liar right in the beginning. Like, this is Bram Stoker. It ain't Bram Stoker's. Dracula can never be made into a movie. Okay. So Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994 has an amazing cast. It has Kenneth Branagh, who directed the film as well. It has uh, Helena Bodum Carter in it. Uh, who else is in here? Ian Holm, Tom Holch, who uh, I love, um, John Cleese, and of course, Robert fucking De Niro as who? The Frankenstein monster, which is the weirdest, weirdest casting of all time. But it makes sense for De Niro. De Niro is obviously kind of like a method actor, so him being the monster is, is, is an interesting casting choice, to be honest. This movie has an amazing cast. It literally should have been an amazing movie. It is on paper, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, everything about it, you're like, oh, this is a five-star. This is going to be the ultimate Frankenstein story. Right, but in the end, it's just Mozart helping Frankenstein <laughs> slay the monster. No, but it's not what happens. <laughs> no, not but, at all. Uh, it, it does fall short. And uh, so, so watching this, it just, um, the first 20 minutes of the movie, this is a, it's a very interesting film. Like I said, I don't love this movie, but there's so much stuff about it that I kind of 
love a lot and dislike a lot to make me kind of fall right in the middle. Um, so they make the uh, Baron uh, Victor Frankenstein very sympathetic in the beginning. It's been a long time since I've read the, the story. And like later renditions, especially Hammers, would make Victor Frankenstein the actual monster of the story because they couldn't get the universal rights, so they had to focus more so on Victor Frankenstein and mm-hmm. Peter Cushing just making him an absolute abomination more so than, you know, the Frankenstein. But in Ooh. this, I, I'm sorry, I want to say one thing before I start. Um, I know. A lot to say about this one for some reason because I like the Frankenstein story so much. But in the beginning of this movie, they they really start off with Victor Frankenstein and the monster both being very sympathetic characters. But by the very end of the film, they're just horrible. Both of them, <laughs> both absolutely. Of them. And they, they what happens to them is is, <coughs> is generally perfect. So so what what were your initial thoughts on this one? My initial thoughts on this one. Um... You know, I. This is one of the things where, like, it, it would be cool if I could compare it to the book. But I was in seventh grade when I read the book, and I. It's been a very long time since I have read that, so it's shaky. And I've seen so many iterations of Frankenstein throughout the years, but it's like, I don't know what's in the book and what's not. Um, I will say that this movie, I, I think, it definitely has some pacing issues. Um. There is a, a large chunk in the beginning, I think, that sets up to, like, Dr. Frankenstein, like, like, uh, like discovering how to make a Frankenstein monster. And, and his reasoning, too, with and, his and, mother. And his reasoning with his, with his mother. Um, but after, like, like, the one professor bites it, um, it's almost like Frankenstein himself is, like, Dr. Frankenstein is... is you know, struck lightning, and it's like, oh, I just know how to do it all of a sudden. And the movie, I think, kind of like just escapes itself. Like it just moves on without ever really. I I, I don't know. Well, here here's what it is about the pacing and the editing. The opening act is really well paced and mm-hmm. and well set up for the relationship between um, Helena Bonham Carter and and Kenneth Branagh. But everything's kind of set up, and then when the initial monster is created, and after that, it just seems like the movie starts to focus on things that aren't as important. It spent 30 minutes on a loving stare between uh, Helena and Kenneth Branagh, and then it will spend 10 seconds on the monster finding the, the diary and looking through it, instead of actually having you know Robert De Niro have those moments where he's reading the diary of Victor Frankenstein and realizing his thoughts and, and being disgusted by what he's realized. And it's just like, these are important moments that you should focus on. I know you need both of it. You kind of need all of it, but they just don't focus on a lot of the important stuff. It's just done in like a, a, almost a montage or something, and it's just kind of distracting. Like they have the beautiful moment with Frankenstein's monster and the blind man, which I mm. thought was really well done, where he talks to him and everything like that. But then what follows is cut so short and just doesn't really work. Like it's just everything is so poorly paced in the film, and it's as obviously it feels like studio intervention where they were just like, well, no, this can't be three hours long and it really needed to be three hours long and I wonder if there's a director's cut somewhere because it doesn't seem like anyone's happy with this movie because when you look at the Blu-ray disc there's no special features there's no interviews with anyone and I can tell this is a movie that is aggravating because it's almost a fucking masterpiece like you add an hour into this it is the best rendition of Frankenstein ever but without that hour it's just kind of clunky and it just doesn't really 
work. And I, I don't know how to say that. And I don't really, I used to always laugh at De Niro being a monster. Like, oh, but he does, it's a good performance. It's yeah. a, 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 you know, but it's just strange seeing De Niro in that makeup. It's all distracting to people. But he does a good job. Everybody does an excellent job in acting. I really like Ian Holm. Yes. As the father. He's very good. His performance is very touching. Um, Tom Holch is a great actor. And it's I don't know whatever happened to Tom Holch. He's an Amadeus. And it's like one of the best performances I've ever seen with him and F. Marie Abraham. That, that's like the best. Like That's such a great, amazing performance between those two. Which is so weird because it's almost the same time period <laughs> in the same <laughs> <Yeah>. geographic location. <laughs> but uh, and he's also in Black Rainbow, which I think he's top notch in too. I just don't know why he wasn't in 5,000 movies. And maybe he is in a lot. He is in a lot more, but maybe it's just stuff that never really caught my attention. You know how that right. is. But he's an excellent actor. Um, Kenneth Branagh, I used to kind of always be very like lukewarm on his performance in this, but I like his performance. I think he's a very good Victor Frankenstein. I, I think it's kind of strange how they make him very sympathetic. And he just becomes very shitty when it comes after the monster being created. He doesn't... The moment where he realizes what he's done is not... Um, it's not really done well. It's not explored as much as it should be. And then the following nightmare sequence afterward where you're kind of seeing the Frankenstein monster come to and he's also having the horrible fever dream and visions. It just, it's just done kind of... Eh. I understood it, but you were like, what the hell happened there? Yeah, because it is on one hand a nightmare sequence and on the other hand... Part of the reality. Part of the reality of what's taken place. But it's like... Yeah. The editing techniques. There's yeah, the lots of wild editing in this the, movie. Yeah, there's lots of wild editing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so it's literally like a 30-second scene where, like, you know, it's he's fighting Frankenstein, and then there's, like, worms crawling on the ceiling shit. <laughs> What's with the bugs? <laughs> yeah, and, and then, I, so, so that's over, and I'm like, did that happen, or was it, a, like, like a, a little nightmare? Bit and, and then, like, the next scene cuts to Frankenstein laying out in the, the gutter, the monster Frankenstein. Uh, so, so, um... The one thing I did notice is they do do have a lot of the sprawling landscapes, which were in the book. Like yeah. the book would stop to explain the beautiful, uh, you know, landscapes when they traveled because travel, the past was a huge thing. Like I mean, mm -hmm. a lot, and it, a lot of times you spend a lot of your life traveling from place to place, especially if you're going to study abroad and all those things like that. Um, John Cleese is pretty good in it. John Cleese is really good. I like the other guy better, the professor who hates Victor Frankenstein. Right, I, of course. I, I just think that he has a. Uh... I don't know, just, just some neat lines, some neat observations, and it, he's just like like that like character type I like. And during the whole uh, nightmare slash also this is really happening sequence, there's lines from the professor that are like juxtaposed over the imagery. Like, it's and like, I wonder if that was cut. So. Yeah, and then it's like he didn't say that to him, so why is he thinking it? Oh yeah, what, whatever. Yeah, like, they're, they're, he they're, wouldn't have known about the monster. He oh yeah, have. yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the weird thing. It's like there is, I think, somewhere like thirty minutes cut. Um, then, like the middle act of the movie is really just Frankenstein living in the woods. Um, and then, well, there, there's lots of petty revenge for an hour. But I do like some of the stuff like De Niro says, like to him, like they should have explored that more. Like you could have literally had so many more poignant lines. And there is some poignant lines in here of De Niro finding the fucking diary and confronting Dr. Frankenstein with the diary in his hand and then quoting other things. Like in the book, there's a beautiful moment when uh, Frankenstein's monster realizes he's like, I am Adam and Lucifer. I was mm -hmm. cast out. 
because I was unwanted for but I, I and I am Adam because I am the first of my kind and he connects himself with that and that was like one of the moments in the book where I was like that is so beautiful you know mm-hmm. where the only books he had available were like the Bible and Paradise Lost right. so he read them voraciously and he understood them and it's just such a weird moment of you have this like this monster is very sympathetic and he starts to be rejected from humanity and he essentially learns all this in a very short period of time which takes mortal man 60 years to realize <laughs> how much you hate humanity yet uh frankenstein doesn't have the same he's missing something he's missing probably what the soul was what you'd say he's missing because he doesn't have the uh, sympathy yeah. of it when he realizes it but he's very sympathetic at first and as it's victor frankenstein at first with his mother and everything like that so you watch these two sympathetic characters become abominations right and the the framing story is strange too. The framing story was a very strange way to go about it with Amy yeah. Quinn and the boat. And the opening of that look is great with the, the dogs running off and being mm. slow. That's an awesome scene. But I'm not the biggest Amy and Quinn character. He's kind of black. Doesn't do much for me in the movie. He's kind of pointless. And I think like his uh, first mate. I guess he might be his first mate on the ship is the Henry Zabrowski mm. looking guy. I yeah. thought he was a much much better guy. He <coughs> he looks like he's a like a hobbit in uh, the Peter Jackson movies or something. I really wanted a Michael Ripper to be in this. He really <laughs> like, deserved to be. They really fucked up on not putting Michael Ripper in every like uh, redo of the Gothic movies just as a cameo. Oh, like he does pop up in um, Revenge of Billy the Kid, which isn't one of those movies. So I don't <laughs> so know why the fuck he's in it. Like, but I was so disappointed when I rewatched American Werewolf in London and just wanted to see Michael Ripper in that pub scene. Like, I don't mm. remember when Michael Ripper died, but I know he should have been in every fucking possible gothic thing. And I don't know why he popped up in the New Zealand movie. Maybe he moved to New Zealand, so he wasn't available to be yeah, the character in his spot. So, so I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know why you had to bring up Michael Ripper. In this. He was yeah, I don't perfect. know why we went on a tangent. Um, it's just, you know, when I watch a Frankenstein, you know, I think I'm old Michael <laughs> Ripper. That's it. Uh, <laughs> you won Michael Ripper short, sir. Um, the one thing is... I, I did like there's like cholera going on in the plague, which is very cool yeah. because you get the ideas of the bodies and everything. And, and De Niro, everybody thinking that he's a plague victim when the people see him and he's like Frankenstein's monsters running through, hitting people into pillars and stuff. That's very cool. There's so much good there's stuff so about this stuff. movie, but there's just so much stuff that doesn't work. And at the end, it just makes it like, it's like I had all the best ingredients why didn't I put this in the oven for 10 extra minutes and this would be the best fucking thing ever? But they're, they're shorted somewhere. Something's not right. And, and, and you know, and I think that it, it's the same thing with Dracula. It's, it's a, I think I haven't watched Dracula in so long, I can't say that. Well, well I'm talking about just adaptation okay. in general. It's, it's just that they're... You know, Frankenstein was written by, like, you know, a crazy Luddite person in love with a poet and, you know, she wrote it to win a contest or whatever. Um, she... Tells us right to campfire, but but it's you know it's fear of technology, and, and I don't think that this comes across so much in this movie. The fear of technology. It's more like you know the vices of man. Um, and the play God storyline too. Yeah, play God storyline. You know, it was always going to be present in Frankenstein, but you know, the really when you're looking at the novel, it, it's you know what. Yeah, who who who's in. Or who controls the maker, whatever that, that that saying is. I don't know. I'm kind of tired, but um, I do think they should have. I know. I know this isn't the Universal movie, and they probably wanted to set themselves apart from that. Mm-hmm. And they probably would have gotten trouble if they would have included anything more Universal because it's not a Universal picture. Oh, are we, are we I, going to talk about this yet? No, but I'm talking okay. about the Bolt next. And so I don't need that. He he looks like how he was described in the book. 
But the scene where he meets the young boy is very brief, and I would have liked to see more of him actually killing the young boy. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, but <laughs> it should have been there. Like, right. I mean, it, it, there's not enough time passed in when we see Frankenstein's monster meet the young boy to when he's dead that there's any moment of suspense, like, did he kill him? Did he kill him? No, they don't, because it's like three seconds later you find him dead. So why not just fucking include the scene? And, that, and that's one of the things with... Uh, Frankenstein's family. I don't think you get a whole lot of time with them. Um, so you don't get like that connection with the characters. Because by, by the time that their Frankenstein is back in... Is it Geneva? Or where, wherever his family stays at. Um, you've already watched an hour of the movie and you hadn't seen them for a hot minute except for uh, uh, Carter. But eh, I guess I, I you lose that connection to them. Um I, I don't know. I, I, I think that Frankenstein movies tend to work better when they're like a hodgepodge of the ever like properties at the time when you have stuff like, you know, Jack the Ripper, Burke and Hare. You incorporate um, a lot of You can incorporate stuff. more of that stuff into them. You know, you get like a, not a better Frankenstein movie, but like a more compelling, fun Frankenstein movie. And I think that's, you know. You think that Frankenstein should be fun? I do think that the original Frankenstein and Brother Frankenstein, those are classic movies, right? right? But you be quiet. That's <laughs> <laughs> the loudest purr ever. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I do think that this one has a lot to offer. But at the end of the day, it's not a perfect movie. And I do think that I would have liked to see them incorporate a little bit more of the Universal Frankenstein in there to make it more fun. Yes. And I will tell you why. Why this movie earn zero stars. What? And why it's not considered a movie or a film or worth your time. Well, they do incorporate some of the bride, too, so we should bring that in. And this, this is my point here. As I had said for years, I always thought that if they were ever to make a Bride of Frankenstein, Helena Bohm Carter would have been a perfect cast for her. Perfect. Not I knew that she was in this movie, but I didn't know to what extent this movie, you know, went through with it. So when it finally came time to where... You know, spoiler alert, but when you know when it's finally time to make the Bride of Frankenstein using Helena Bohm Carter's head, and she doesn't look like the '30s version of the Bride of Frankenstein, <sighs> I checked out. They probably I couldn't was done. do it. They could have paid the prop. I would have paid. Oh, a you could have paid. B, if Patricia Quinn can get away with it in Rocky Horror, I don't see why just putting because this is a Frankenstein. In, because it's a Frankenstein. No, you could have got away with it. I don't know why you didn't do it. You, you went with, like, Melted Gremlin. Because they think they're better than the Universal Frankenstein movie. But it's but not. But they're not. They're not that's, better. That's, that's the, the problem. Thing. It's <laughs> not. And, and you had the best actress and the best opportunity to do it. And it, I'm not going to use the analogy I said, you know, when I was talking about it with you earlier, when I watched it, when I stormed out of the fucking room. But, um... You didn't storm out of the room. I'm just being overdramatic. I, it, but I am overdramatic. You just want to... Insert but the I, am... I award you zero points and God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> no, but I, seriously, I, I, I hated it. It, it. it upset me so much because I got way too excited to see like, oh, this is like one of those times where it's like, like I had like my dream cast for a dream role and they took it from me. Those monsters, how could they? The true monster of the movie <laughs> is not Victor Frankenstein or the monster he created. But the idea that Helena Belden Carter didn't have the Frank Frankenstein—that's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. She, uh, 
she's just a neat aesthetic character, and I always like the way she looks. I think that she's the most iconic of the Universal Monsters. What if Tim Burton directed this movie? Tim Burton would have done it. Yeah, my God, it would have been an awful movie. It, it, you know what? Maybe not in 94, though. Maybe it not in 94. Actually, 94 probably would have been, like, the shit. But, but it wouldn't know. have felt like uh, real Frankenstein, either. But did this? A lot of it did. To a me. lot of it did? It just felt... Okay, Okay, but you did get to see Robert De Niro kill John Cleese. <laughs> Who would have ever thought you'd ever get to see Robert De Niro kill John Cleese, right? And he's proper De Niro when he kills John Cleese. He's real De Niro. He's like, I ain't taking no vaccination. Vaccinations ain't no good. Which is very funny because there was that whole thing with De Niro and the, the, the play in that movie at the, the festival about the anti-vax. And then he was like, well, let's play it. And then everybody came to him and said, well, he's like, I'm not going to play it because maybe I'm wrong. Right. Whatever. And then also COVID-19, vaccinations, you get it, right? This shit just loops over and over, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, we, we have not uh, <laughs> evolved at all. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein Creature Features, 1994. Three and a half out of five. Don't be put off by some of the critical rejection that attached to this Francis Ford Coppola production. The companion piece is Ram Stoker's Dracula. Director Kenneth Branagh brings an incredibly energetic, frenetic uh, style to Shelley's classic novel, which is followed more faithfully than most uh, adapters. Screenwriter Steve, uh, Steph Lady and Frank Darabont, Lady wrote the script on spec, Darabont enhanced it, give Branagh a distillation of complex novel that allows him to go over the top in his overwrought but powerful style as director. Branagh's camera is constantly moving through the imagery of a gothic nightmare as dizzy and crazy as many of the characters. Uh, Branagh doubles as Victor von Frankenstein and is a dynamic monster maker, obsessed in a way that no mad scientist or before him has obsessed. As the monster, Robert De Niro stretches his acting legs to provide a new slant on the creature, articulate, burning with a passion of his own for his bride-to-be and cognate of the ironies in which he is trapped. Yes, it's overdone and gory and funky, but who would want a Frankenstein monster movie Frankenstein movie to be otherwise? The great sporting cast include Tom Holch, Helena Bonham Carter as Elizabeth, Adrian Quinn as North Pole Explorer Walton, and Ian Holm as Victor's father. It's a great version not to be missed. And I do think that he's a little bit more fair, and I don't think he's 100% wrong. I think he's about 85% right. Um, it's just weird. It's like... It's almost like, you know, when they create the Frankenstein monster and the brain got damaged in a lot of adaptations of it. It's kind of like they created the perfect monster, but the brain got damaged just a little bit. <laughs> it's almost like the Frankenstein monster in itself. It's almost a perfect human, but something's missing. Is it the soul? Is it the brain's wrong? I don't know. It could have been good. It really could have been good. Um... I guess it just kind of left me kind of flat at the end of the day. And I think because it is like that last like 30 minutes to an hour is just rushed. It's just rushed. At that point in the movie, you no longer care about Frankenstein or Frankenstein. You kind of realize that they're both assholes. Um, you know, who are you rooting for? I don't know. I was rooting for the bride of Frankenstein and I didn't get that. Um, which is exactly why I rate this movie zero stars. No, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. This movie, while I watch it, I rate it lower than movies I rate higher sometimes. But I would, I would rather watch this movie. That made no sense. But I mean, I'd rather watch this movie than a lot of movies I rate higher. Oh, yeah, I could watch this any time almost. So, so where do I rate something like that? But it also it, it bothers me because you're almost perfect, but you're fucking off, and it annoys the shit out of me. So I give it six and a half out of ten. I. uh... 
do think it's worth watching, especially if you like Frankenstein and stuff like that. But there is something missing, and it almost is perfect. And it's just like, how do you how do you hate on something that's well done, but also, uh, you know, a little falls a little short when you watch so many movies that are completely done like shit that go better than what they should. So I'm probably holding this on a scale of budget. And, and well, I tell you how you do that. You award it zero stars. Stop. What? <laughs> what are you giving it for real? For real? I, I, I mean, on the record, zero, but probably like a two and a half. Bullshit. Maybe artists. a three. But I don't know. There, there are just chunks of the movie that, you know, too much is missing. Too much is shown in scenes. Too much is missing from others. Um, and then, you know, with the ultimate letdown and 30 minutes to go in the Arctic, um, I was just like, I'm kind of over it's it. It's kind of like you, you blew my load. I don't remember the Arctic stuff being in the novel at all. So it's like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's been too long. I mean, it has been 20 years since I've read it. Um, Probably eight for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the Arctic stuff. I don't remember a lot of stuff. I, I do remember cold in it. And I remember Frankenstein traveling across the cold and stuff like that. But I don't well, remember, I remember if there was a, a rap with the Arctic shit in there at all. There could very well be. I mean, that's a very classic thing of old literature, especially Lovecraft. It's like, I found this novel and it's oh, this yeah. old like, thing and it tells of my uncle, great uncle who found this creature. And then eventually that creature, he becomes obsessed with the creature himself. And right. I mean, like, obsession is... Even even in Poe, even in classic literature, obsession is the driving force of the whore, and, and you know what I mean, obsession, superstition, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so, I don't know. So what what do we what do we watch next week? Um, man, I didn't, know, we're, we're I didn't the give it a whole. I'm just kidding. Huh? No, I didn't say anything. <laughs> do, do you want to do a war and peace section? <laughs> No, let's not do a war and peace yet, because I, I still got about like fifty pages oh. left in the book. Um, I know. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. We'll get to do it, but um, we, you know, we'll we'll save that for you know next time. There's a comet in town, but um, uh, what about? Because we were going to do this or interview with a vampire. I actually want to see interview with a vampire. Uh, <laughs> do you want to do the interview with a vampire? Yes, we can. Another. This one's like three. I haven't watched Interview with the Vampire since it came out. And I know it. It's 94. I was like, I like it. It's good yeah, movie. Yeah, because he has to watch all these 94 movies. For you know, I don't know why. Um, so we could do 94 Interview with a Vampire. Or we could do... Have you ever seen All Dogs Go to Heaven? I'm sure I've seen it as a kid. That don't count. Name, name the dog. Dom uh, uh, Wee's the dog. <laughs> He's in it. Burt um, Reynolds, the dog. Muscle. Yes. <laughs> no, let's do an interview with a vampire. Because right. we, we did like two. I did. I picked like two or three animated things in the past month. I think. All right, so we're out of here. Yeah, I'm going to bed. So um, to uh, dream about you know the movie that could have been with a properly casted and make the bride. Um, she was properly cast. She just wasn't properly made up. Yeah. There we go. Oh, I was so pissed. Again, you know, she does it in Rocky Horror. I mean, I don't understand. It's like, oh, we can't put the hair on. She well, now, 
you you can do Frankenstein, but you can't infringe on universal rights. You can't just be like like when you say universal rights. I mean Universal's rights as the company. You can't just say, hey, well, now he's got the bolts in his neck, which Jack per- Pierce made up, and that kind of stuff with the, the square head. You can't do it with the big boots. You can't just do... Because that wasn't like the book. They made that Frankenstein monster up. That's why every rendition that's not a Universal is like that. That's why in the Evil of Frankenstein, which was Hammer's first Universal uh, Frankenstein movie, he looks kind of like Square Head, and that movie sucks balls in, in comparison to the other ones they made, which is weird. I mean, it's not that bad, but I just don't care for it very much. But, you know, like, how many times do you see Frankenstein not Universal with Square Head and Bolt Next? How, how many children's coloring books? Yeah, see? They're you loo- see them everywhere. But... It, it's a little different when you're actually making a Frankenstein, I think. It's not different. It's it's because because they wanted to upset me. That's the only reason. <laughs> but 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 it is the time. I can see why people were upset. It's like this is your fucking chance to get this big budgeted Frankenstein movie and do it right with the right money and everything and impossibility mm. and the right cast and everything, and you still just don't dive into the little subtle beautiful moments of the novel that just aren't there they're not and a lot of it is there but not everything's there you know and i think that also at least me like i'm kind of like a fan when something calls something you know back or calls back to something um i I know after watching the halloween movie you know you're not a fan of that but like i like i don't hate the halloween kills i gave it six and a half out of ten I just don't expect much out of the 12, <laughs> the 12 sequel. Everybody's like, I thought it would be great. It's like, it's the 12th fucking sequel of a movie. Yeah, the acting, some of the acting's hammy, the writing's hammy at the end of the day, but you know what? It's Halloween 103. We get it. Yeah, it's entertaining um, anyway, so I enjoyed yeah. it for what it is. It's not horrible. It's just entertaining. It's fun. You know, but, you know, it would have just been so nice. It would have been so nice and so perfect, and... But this is fucking Francis Ford Coppola's Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, Frankenstein, you know, he was in love in his past life. <laughs> <laughs> the brain was in love with... I just do the same thing. He's <laughs> like, I'm making the mummy. Which, which is already a love story, so I have to change very much. He hated her in his past life. <laughs> he fucks it up. <laughs> We're doing the Wolfman. This time, Wolfman can only be killed by someone that hates him, not loves him. <coughs> it's like, what are you it was doing? hate what killed the beast. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, we're done. We're done. Yeah. Interview, interview with it. the vampires next week. Yes, interview with the vampire. Okay, guys, let's hop into these questions, comments, concerns. Last week, I asked you, um, what did I ask you guys? Uh, any movie uh, that you didn't know existed, made before, many horror movie you didn't know existed. Uh, made before 2000 that uh, you didn't know existed before it hit Blu-ray. Man, I feel like I'm just repeating myself a hundred times here. So uh, basically questions here. Leah, um, Leah Shurnett, this is a comment. Whip in the Body has been sitting on my shelf on watch for like a year. I will have to get give it a watch now. Yeah, check it out. I, I think it's really great. Incarnate, I love the part in the paper boy when the kid screams, leave my family alone. Totally coming unglued and tripping balls. Classic. <laughs> I agree. Um, Isimisio, Jesus, Silence of the Hams looks and sounds pretty cringe. I applaud your patience. I feel like I would just turn it off after the first ten minutes. New Nightmare doesn't hold up for me at all. I remember the young boy being really annoying in the film. My Nightmare on Elm Street best to worst would probably be two, three, one, four, five, six, seven. I don't hate six because Breckenmeyer's dope and such a product of the 90s. Haha. <laughs> right off the top of my head, Angst. 1983 is a film I never heard of until it was released on Blu-ray. Really terrific flick. 
I'm glad it was given the exposure it deserves, and tons of others too. That's what I love about physical media. Niche companies and collecting is unearthing these rare finds slash gems and the amazing restoration work they can do. Uh, preservation at its finest. Yeah, uh, Angst is a great movie. Um, so then we have Nick Mua. Good to see that the shows are getting longer again. Don't we love uh, all love a little more Mr. Parker to spice up this week? Not not everyone, especially the guy who commented on my Instagram that my tags didn't match my picture. <laughs> he didn't he didn't want any more Mr. Parker. But uh, so before Network on Air re-released uh, it, I had never heard of The Dark Eyes of London, 1939. A bit before 2000, yes. Bela Lugosi portrays an insurance agent who must help the police with the mysterious death of one of his clients. But is Mr. Lugosi trustworthy? I know you're being uh, rhetorical there, but fuck no, Mr. Lugosi is not trustworthy in a horror film or a thriller. The Blu-ray is stunning to behold. This release comes with uh, art cards, a slipcover, also an interview and audio commentary featuring Stephen Jones and Kim Newman. Sad to admit, but 1965's The Collector featuring Terrence Stamp. Thank the Lord for the Blu-ray. This film is uncomfortable like you wouldn't believe, but it's more than worth your time. I don't remember if I have The Collector. Trying to look, uh, see my uh, uh, those uh, indicator movies. Questions: Would you trust an insurance agent that looked like Bela Lugosi or any insurgent, insurance agent for that matter? No, and no. And uh, it's kind of like that joke where I uh, watched um, Howl of the Devil, and it was, um, oh geez, Howard Vernon, and this lady said, "You have the most trustworthy. You have a very trustworthy face." I was like, "Are you crazy?" Um, that's like Bell the Ghosty if he was my insurance agent or even my realtor or just anybody that wasn't like trying to kill me. I'd be like, what, what's your game, man? Um, so then which train would you rather board? The Horror Express, the Train to Busan, or the Orient Express? I've never seen the Orient Express. I know it's a, a classic Agatha Christie kind of murder type mystery thing, but I'm not getting on the Horror Express because I don't want my brain wiped. I'm not getting on the Train to Busan because just thinking about being on that train gives me a heart attack. I would go with the Orient Express. I mean, at least I'm getting killed in a non-supernatural aspect. The other ones are just terrifying to me. They this give me anxiety thinking of being on that train. Can any actor ever escape the role audiences know them best for in the days of home media and live streaming? Ooh, that's a tough call. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, it's just very hard. Um, I mean, actors can reinvent themselves. Like uh, John Travolta disappeared and came back as a different actor. That was nowadays. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, I can't answer that question because in, in the days of live streaming, it's just kind of been like that for the last five, six years. So I have no real insight on it. And he says, enjoy your week, sir. Give Goomba my regards. He doesn't need your regards. He's probably sleeping. Dead Flintstone. Hey, Dave, I watched Human Animals, which was bizarre and fascinating. I really like that. One of the many movies I would have missed if not for your channel. Thank you. Thank Mondo Macabro. In fact, just go to Mondo Macabro and just look at all the releases. If you want hidden gems you haven't seen, probably go... They're the, they're the company. Um, I'm just watching them. They're releasing them. Uh, what the flick? How can you say Rate Man 4 is as important as 12 Angry Men? Rate Man 4 is far more important than 12 Angry Men. You can't even compare. Just kidding. Great video, my dude. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> D. Uh, Gulag? Uh, D. Gulag. I agree on New Nightmare. It gets way too much praise lately, but it's just okay. Some great parts here and there, but it's a little dull and pretentious. I enjoy it nonetheless. Yeah, I, I like the movie. I just don't love it. Adam Watson, you are a reviewing machine. Um, thank you. Uzi Suicide 666. The last matinee is a Uruguay-Argentina Uruguay co-production. I thought it was funny that they show you this in the company's names for a full minute and 40 seconds before the movie starts. That has to be some sort of record. Montevideo, where the film takes place, is the capital largest city in Uruguay. I thought it felt like a lot like, a lot like popcorn and really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, yeah, I felt like there was like 20 logos before that movie. Uh, yeah, Uruguay is where um, George Hilton's from, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he replies, yeah, he's like, okay, so then Dan the cameraman, Grandpa Dave, take your old man med so you remember to answer this question. Okay. You bring up an interesting point when it comes to films based on true crimes and whether they should be made or how soon is too soon. I look at some films like The Other Side of Madness, Guana, Cult of the Damned, and Zodiac Killer, which were made very soon after or even in the middle of the horrible tragedy. These films were pushed out to capitalize on the story of the uh, of the week, and you could, or even in the middle, okay, sorry, I lost my spot, or you could say that these were in bad taste to make a buck off a real tragedy. My question for you is how soon is too soon for a film to be made off of a tragedy? And what do you feel is the difference between a movie like The Other Side of Madness as opposed to something like Marion Dora's Cannibal, just to name a random movie. I find the line between making a film to, te- uh, to tell a story of a horrific event without glamorizing it, Sea Elephant, for example, and trying to make a buck off the real tragedy, Carbine, the high school massacre. Interesting. Just wanted to know your thoughts. Oh, also, one more thing. Eat my ass, Zombie 90 forever. Talk to you soon, Grandpa. Cheers. Fuck Zombie 90. And um, so that's a really difficult kind of situation. Um, yeah, like stuff like... Um, other side of madness you know that that's kind of a strange movie um the one i bring up is henry was made during like right when the crimes were discovered and they didn't even know all the details but while watching that i never felt it was just trying to exploit on it i felt like it was trying to just show like these characters in a dark kind of psychological thing but also scare you uh, not exploit it um confessions of a serial killer i feel the same way which is the same subject but when i watch something like my name is a by anonymous i just feel it just comes across tasteless i don't think that the director's intent was to like maybe it was to cash in but it just rubs me the wrong way um geez how soon is soon i think when you're trying to push an agenda i think that it could come across tasteless um i think that's kind of uh the idea but you're not necessarily asking that you're saying the movies that are trying to exploit it um oh geez that's a tough call um and and this and jeez uh, i don't even know where to go about that how soon is too soon i guess it all matters how it's handled like the there was like a case in anthony lifetime movie wasn't there or something like that that like that's too soon that's just bullshit like i don't even know why you do that because you're gonna have to tone down the real crime in that in that case right and it just seems like completely exploitative right and just bullshit and dumbing down the real crime but uh cannibals brutal man i didn't even finish that movie and i i probably should give it another spin and try to watch that it wasn't because of lack of quality it was because um it was a bunch of people watching it and they started it and it was just like started and it was just making everyone super uncomfortable for good reason and i just never went back to it i should watch cannibal but i don't even know if i have the guts to watch it that's one of those movies that just like sits there on the shelf daring me to watch and i'm like i don't know if i can handle that i don't know mario and dora's movies are really tough to swallow um uh geez i'm trying to think of one that rubbed me the wrong way the most wickedly vile one that one kind of rubbed me the wrong way because the way it was the way it was intent was to show you how someone could be fooled by ted bundy but letting everyone know it was ted bundy in the very beginning kind of just spoiled the whole idea of it and then it just kind of seemed like they were trying to make you sympathize with ted bundy on the crimes and not show you how horrible of a person he actually was um but that lies within the reveal right um I don't know. My name, is, my name is A by Anonymous always felt tasteless to me, while Henry didn't. Emily Rose always felt tasteless to me, while something... Um, I'm trying to think of another religious horror movie. Anytime that they try to take a real story where someone died and try to push like somewhat of an agenda on there when they don't play the fence or tell the true story... Um, and that one came across as them definitely trying to be religious propaganda in the movie um, in a weird way. So, uh, uh, how soon is too soon? I mean, if you don't have all the details, that's definitely too soon. 
even if it ends up being a great movie like Henry. So I guess history will tell how tasteless something ends up. I don't really have an answer for you. I just know how I feel about certain movies and other ones I don't have that feeling about, you know. On The Exorcist, I never had that feeling about it, even though that it basically made people believe, you know, that that people were possessed a lot more often. I never felt like the movie was tasteless or anything like that, or and I supposedly based on true story or anything like that. Um, so I, I don't really have a good answer for you. I just kind of rambled on for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> and the, the ones you use, Other Side of Madness, is a movie that I watched that I didn't, don't remember because it was really kind of an inept film and barely a film in itself. Uh, Ken Coakley, I can't think of uh, specific horror films made before 2000 that I hadn't heard of, but there's a lot of Jess Franco movies I was unaware of because he directed over 300 movies. I also hadn't heard of most of the contents of the new box set coming out from Severin. While a lot of films of the horror exploitation genre were brought to these shores from Italy, Spain, England, as well as Mexico and Canada, but films from France and Japan were fine art films. Uh, other countries like Poland, Czechoslovakia, and others never saw the light of day here. Actually, there was one release I wasn't familiar with. was uh, Vinegar Syndrome's Nightmare Sister, Sisters. I was surprised because I really liked Linnea Quigley. Uh, and he also goes on, I have a rather unusual question to ask you. Did you have a local-owned movie theater that you went to with friends, or were there only multiplexes as well as VHS then? Um, this is a good question. There was a dollar theater. I don't think it was mom or pop owned, but it wasn't like one of the big uh, kind of theaters or anything like that. Um, it had to be a bigger theater. There is one that's not too far away, the Mommy Indoor Theater, and that is uh, kind of a, a, a local-owned theater, but I didn't go there regularly, and I don't remember if I ever went there. They will play movies that, like, two weeks after they're out of theaters or something like that, but they're usually bigger titles. They don't play too many independent titles there. So there is that kind of local theater. As far as other local theaters, there was never any really in Toledo. It was mostly just the multiplexes and stuff like that, and maybe a drive-in in Oregon, Oregon or, or which is in Ohio as well, by my house, Toledo. Uh, so so there really wasn't ever that there was just a lot of like multiplexes and VHS kind of for me and my friends uh like the dollar theater was really fun because they had like a small arcade in there and we would always go like back and forth to the arcade and the movies and things like that but so he goes on and says I had three Hoto theaters and both closed down one in 1982 and the other in 1986 the guy who owned the one that closed in 82 ended up being a co-worker at a theater I started working at in 1986 he ran dailies for Steve uh Minisian, who gave us uh Mark of the Devil pieces and Friday 13th his projection booth looked like heaven. He had collected horror and exploitation posters all through the 60s and 70s, and he basically wallpapered the booth with at least 300 movie horror posters. I still dream about both theaters and learn that you truly don't know what you've got until it's gone. Even the theater-owned projectionist passed away uh, last year, but he gave me a great childhood. Yeah, that's a good story. I mean, I feel the same way about, uh, you know, my childhood like how much uh, how well i had it with my parents and all that kind of stuff and going to the video stores and just like going among the sea of vhs and being the rent things and just like not have to worry about work you just really don't know how good you got it until you're an adult and everything that you love most of it's gone <laughs> and then you're like fuck so and and it's just human nature you're gonna take the things for granted until they're not there it's unfortunate but you know uh and i and i think most film fans uh are nostalgist I think they think about a lot of their childhood and they tie those memories directly to film. Or you could create new memories and they have it directly tied to film. I remember talking to someone who wasn't like a big film nut, but they, they tied in a lot of things with how they remember films with the food they were eating during it. So, like, for them, Dirty Dozen was with ginger ale. 
because they were, you know, drinking ginger ale with a dirty dozen. So it just automatically goes with it. So it's just like things like that, right? Uh, that you have these weird memories that are directly tied in with other things. So like for like Stephen King, it just like goes to my mom because my mom liked Stephen King movies. We would watch those together, stuff like that, you know. And uh, she was born in 1958, which is the same year as the the Plymouth uh, from Christine. So we'd always bring up that point. So there's a lot of these kind of memories like that that are directly tied in. So it creates personal feelings towards movies and stuff like that. And then therefore, you know, some of your subjectivity turns up, you know, it just all that kind of stuff mixes in. So, yeah, I understand what you're getting at, too. You know, uh, yeah, I think a lot about those stuff like that. So then we have Dominic Fabri uh, to the question of the week. And I asked any uh, horror movie made before 2000 that you didn't know existed until it had a Blu-ray release. All these should be answers to that. Every second horror film Vinegar Syndrome puts out, LOL. Mark Jones, Don Dolores Fiend. Massacre Video put that out. Very fun movie. John Soloway, not exactly a horror film, but the 1968 anthology Spirits of the Dead. Rob Kopinski, um, Spider Baby or The Maddest Story Ever Told. I was aware of the Arrow release via the 22 Shots. Easily one of the greatest cold purchases I ever made. Freaking love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Travis Tiro, Rob, I've had that movie on the shelf for two years and still have yet to watch. Sounds like I need to. You definitely do. Um, Aaron Mazzola, Grizzly 2 Revenge. Uh, Lindbergh says, yeah, it should have stayed that way. Such a just disappointment. Lindbergh also posts The Sports Killer, which is a.k.a. Killer's Delight, um, the Vinegar Syndrome kind of Ted Bundy deal. Uh, Lacey Liu, I still haven't seen it, but I remember when the news dropped that the son, uh, some old Tom Hanks horror film was getting the blue treatment. I was like, wait, Tom Hanks did an actual horror film? Legit, had no idea. He knows you're alone, would be my choice. Also, fun fact, his son Colin did a film in 06 with a similar title, Alone with Her, which I have seen. See, I've seen uh, He Knows You're Alone, but I've not seen Alone With Her. Uh, then Tim Walker, Mondo Macabre has done a good job of putting out uh, some obscure stuff on Blu-ray that I hadn't heard of. The Spider and the Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death. Even Symptoms I hadn't heard of before they put it out. Really dug them all. Symptoms is one that I hadn't heard of, and I knew who Jose Larraz was from The Vampires. But Symptoms came out, and I was like, oh, this is beautiful movie um the spider um yeah that was one i don't think i had heard of or the woman chasing the butterfly of death all three of those movies i had not heard of all three are really interesting to great movies alex davincio pretty much vinegar syndrome's entire catalog ryan matthew ziegler superstition 1982 daryl spears microwave massacre <laughs> love it peter england off topic in answer to a previous question but still relevant your 1994 movies watch best horror movie directed in 1994 the gold watch segment of pulp fiction mike papa replies question mark yeah i don't see anything in Pulp Fiction, a horror movie. I, if I had a gun to the head, um, and also, uh, you know, I guess the gold watch, the end with this stuff like that, uh, could be horror. I don't consider anything in Pulp Fiction, a horror movie. It's just the tone and everything. But they, you know, it's pretty horrific in there. Uh, Shane Glass, Ghostkeeper, which is a good pick. Um, I'd not, I don't know if I'd heard that one before the Blu-ray, honestly. So I guess this week's question is a fun one. Which Monster Mash would you like to see? It can be modern, it can be past, it can be a past and modern. But uh, me and Jeremy always thought it would be a great, we were talking about this, I don't know if we brought it up on the show, I think we probably did. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera and Dracula. Such a perfect monster mashup. You think the Phantom is, uh, you know, he's doing his thing. He's a, he uh, he has his eyes set on his uh, his girl, his pupil. He's in love with her. He needs to teach her. But guess who's in the audience? Count Dracula. He also spots the same girl who reminds him of an old love or somebody he used to, you know, something like that. And boom, both have their eyes set on the same girl. So Count Dracula goes after her. But Phantom's not going to have any of it. Phantom's going to set all these traps for Dracula. And he's going to have to survive 
and they're both after the same woman or anything. And maybe she gets bit, and maybe the Phantom has to deal with it. And uh, it's just going to be really fun. The Phantom of the Opera meets Dracula. I think we even had a title. I can't remember. It was something with the Phantom of Dracula or some Dracula. Uh, I don't know. But anyways, uh, I, I love the idea. So um, you could have some great lines too, right? Because the, uh, the Phantom of the Opera always signs OG Opera Ghost. Uh, so he's like the original OG versus <laughs> whatever, man. But uh, he could be like, how can a, the un- it's like you may be undead but i have always been a ghost like there's so many co- it would be very cool so what is a monster mash you would like to see of course we had alien vs predator we had freddy vs jason we had frankenstein meets the wolfman um so we had some monster mashes dracula frankenstein and, and wolfman all shared the screen in abacostella meet dragon monster squad we had the monster mashup i mean yeah maniacs is multiple monsters waxwork we have a bunch of monsters but let's do a monster versus or meetup like who would you like to see a crossover that they never did like i mean a lot of people are going to answer wouldn't it be cool to see Leatherface tie up with Jason or, or somebody like that. But just think anybody, the classics, the new ones, any of the monsters you like, would you would like to see a monster mix up? Add more than you want, whatever. I'm just curious about that. So I guess let's hop into that update. Alright guys, let's hop into this update. First up is Prisoners of the Ghostland by Asana and Sino. Uh, yeah, this has Nicolas Cage in it. Kind of a big stir here because uh, Nicolas Cage and Sono is just insane. Uh, yeah, this is a steel book. And the first thing I will say is I did, uh, like, this came, I think there's like part of like one of the weird, yeah, like the weird back thing they always have on these. Yeah, so there we go. But, yeah, um... Uh, so the way they package this is the absolute worst packaging I've ever seen. So I'll show you a little bit. I have the, the 4K ready to go out in the living room, so you're not going to see that. But they just took the Blu-ray and the 4K, and they put them in the same on top of each other. And I'm not, that's nitpicky, but it's just like, they they were like rattling in the case. It's just like, guys, what the fuck? Just stupid. Just very stupid. So then we have Die Hard uh, on 4K, classic movie. Who doesn't like Die Hard? Uh, Bruce Willis, uh, back when he was the man. So can't wait to rewatch frickin' Die Hard 4K. Uh, they made a big sale here. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't even know if I have the Blu-ray. I love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm uh, going to watch it 4K. Uh, very happy to grab this one. Um, I love Willy Wonka. This is one of my favorite movies as, uh, as a kid. And uh, I, I think it's very funny as an adult, too. I just love it. Then we have the Green Knight uh, 4K. Great price. Heard this one is uh, amazing. Amazing to look at, at the very least. Is The the worst thing I heard about it is, hey, it's not, I don't love it, but it, it looks beautiful. But, yeah, this one is an A24. It's supposed to be pretty cool so green knight 4k then we have uh, my first criterion 4k they're getting in the 4k game couldn't pass this one up muholland drive by david lynch uh can't wait to watch this bad boy in 4k it's a great movie uh and i just saw it for the first time a couple years back uh yeah next time i watch it, it's gonna be a 4k and this movie is just amazing if, if nobody's ever seen it it's super interesting um yeah so director approved 4k and blu-ray and then last on DVD, Stir Cheap. It's a Sandlot, which I didn't. Th- I didn't have this one, and I haven't seen this movie in years. I, I saw this on TV. This is one of these ones that, like, you know, people love the Sandlot, the Goonies, Gremlins, all those. And uh, this is one that I liked as a kid, but it wasn't a favorite like the Goonies or Monster Squad. But yeah, um, I probably should have took off this really stupid packaging that they have here, but it is what it is. This is how Amazon shipping some of their stuff. But uh, we're gonna hop back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one.
Don't do that. I need a clear fucking one. You're talking, and then when you clap your hands, now you gotta clap without talking. <laughs> Don't do it again. I'm just gonna review it on my fucking own. <laughs> Which is what you if want. It went, if it was no, that easy. If that, I'll pick it fucking all Stephen King next time if you do that again. All Stephen King. Oh. All right.